And as we continue today in our series, Love Lessons, you and I are now going to start to see some of the characteristics or attributes of love. You see, it's here that we're going to see what love really looks like when it is lived out authentically in our lives. Now, I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Most of you probably have this fairly closely memorized. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient. You see that? Sounds so simple, doesn't it? But can I ask you, have you been lovingly patient this week? Is that a challenge for you? You see, the reality is that you and I need to understand why the first characteristic here of love is patience. Because if we're not patient in our love, we're not going to be kind in our love. We're not going to be forgiving in our love. We're not going to be seeking the truth in our love. In fact, what we will do is the exact opposite of what Scripture says love is not. We will be boastful and proud and rude and demanding. And so we need to learn how do we love patiently the people that God has put in our life. Now, if we're honest, every one of us, this is a challenge. Every one of us can probably think back at least in the last month of a time where we were not very lovingly patient. And it's a challenge because we live in a culture of instant gratification. Give it to me now. We don't have to be patient. We don't have to wait for anything. We also have a human nature that desires to feed the flesh. From the moment that we're born, we cry out. And babies learn very quickly. If I cry get what I want, what I need. And so it's a challenge for you and I because patience goes against our human nature. One of my favorite stories on patience is that of a young kindergartner teacher. It was getting close to the end of the year, and she could see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it wasn't quite time for summer. And those of you teachers that are finally getting to take that full breath thank you for an amazing school year, blessing our kids. You're awesome. But she wasn't quite at that point where she could take that breath. It was the end of the day, and she was sending home the kids and helping them get ready. And there was this one little boy, and he had these boots that seemed a little too small, and he couldn't quite get them on. So she's struggling to get his boots on. And she's wrestling and sweating, and she finally gets the boots on. And the little boy looks down, and he says, teacher, they're on the wrong feet. And sure enough, they were. Well, she gets them back off, and she wrestles them onto the right feet. And when she finally gets the last boot on, the little boy says, these aren't my boots. And she thinks to herself, well, you could have told me that before. I tried to put them on the second time, but she, she's patient. She's quiet. So she wrestles the boots back off. And the little boy says, they're my brothers. My, my mom made me wear them this morning. So she wrestles them back on. She gets his coat on and she gets his hat and she says, where are your mittens? Well, I stuffed them in the toes of my boots so I wouldn't lose them. (laughs) We've all been there. My mom used to call it 
Giles, you're getting on my last nerve. And some of you moms, you feel that way with your kids at times, right? We feel that way with coworkers at times. But, but why do we need to be patient? Well, Chuck Swindoll, in a small book, Killing Giants and Pulling Thorns, which, by the way, if you have not read that, I would highly recommend you read that. It, it, it's a short book, but it's so packed with, with good, valuable information. Killing Giants and Pulling Thorns. He says this, those late takeoffs, those grocery lines, those busy restaurants, those trains, what fertilizer for the thorns of impatience? Your waitress will not likely be impressed that you can prove the authorship of the first five books of the Bible. Nor will the gal at the checkout stand stare in awe as you inform her of the distinct characteristics of biblical infallibility which you embrace, although she may stare at you. One quality, however, a single rare virtue, scarce as diamonds and twice as precious, will immediately attract them to you and soften their spirits. What is that quality? The ability to accept delay graciously, calmly, quietly, understandingly, and with a smile. For if the robe of purity is far above rubies, the garment of patience is even beyond that. But alas, the garment seldom clothes us. That's why. God wants us to be lovingly patient because it touches people's lives and it changes people's lives And it's one of the greatest ways that we can witness who we're really living for. Now, he says there, it's a garment that is seldom worn. And the reason that he calls it that is because Scripture says this in Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Why can't we just get up in the morning and have a partial patience with people? (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? I'm going to give you 10% patience, partial patience. Well, let me show you what that looks like. That would be like me getting up in the morning, taking my shower, getting ready for the day and saying, hey, honey, I think I'm going to go to work and just wear a hat today. That's it. I'd be a little exposed, right? We would be like that. No, you can't. That's crazy. You're going to be a disaster. Well, covering my head. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll cover my hands. You know, I'll put some gloves on. Surely, surely that's enough patience. I'm, I'm partially covered with patience right now. Do you see what the problem is? We're exposed. We're naked. We're vulnerable. And not just us, but the people around us. You see, what we really truly need is the overcoat of patience. Do you notice the difference? But see, most of us, we want to settle for just a partial patience today. Instead of really, truly clothing ourselves, as Scripture calls us to do. Why do I need to be clothed with patience? Because... God calls me to be patient in several different areas of my life. And I want to talk first, number one, about the kinds of patience. And the first kind of patience is that we need to learn to wait for the expected things of life. 
Now, that may shock some of you because you were thinking that I would say the unexpected things of life. We'll get to that. But we need the patience for the expected things of life. Like a couple of weeks ago when we were expecting spring and it was snowing, we had expectations, but we had to wait and we had to learn to be patient. And some of us, we, we sort of pouted through those spring storms. We weren't very patient with that. The farmers that have been planting the seeds, they expect a harvest, but they're going to have to wait. They're going to have to be patient. Little kids, when Christmas is coming, we have expectations, or maybe it's a birthday in, in two months, and we have to wait. Years ago, before some genius came up with the squeeze ketchup bottle, we had the glass ones. You remember those? Remember getting ketchup out of that thing? Some of you never did figure out there was a little spot you could tap and it would come out. And I'll never forget as a little kid looking around a restaurant one time and seeing all these angry adults just pounding the bottom of ketchup bottles. Learning to be patient with the expected things. And then the unexpected things. The trials and the difficulties and the challenges of life. And in Scripture, in the Greek, there is a word, and it's a compound word, and it means to remain under the weight. That's exactly what trials feel like, don't they? Like there's this weight on you, and it feels like it's crushing you, but you have to remain under the weight And sometimes in those trying times of life, God starts to refine us. And he uses those trials for our good, to shape our lives. And often in Scripture, sometimes it's called patience, but often it's called perseverance or translated perseverance, to remain under the weight. And then there's the waiting on God. Have you noticed that God's timetable is different than yours? I mean, if you haven't, you, you'll figure that out pretty soon. You see, when we pray, and Judd did a phenomenal job last week of, of teaching us through the Lord's Prayer how to pray. But when you and I pray, we have to wait on God for the answers, right? But again, how often do we pray and we want an instant answer? We want God to instantly fix whatever it is that is an issue or a concern in our life we have to learn to wait. I got a guy that I was just figuring this up this week. I've been praying for him, for his salvation for 25 years. Now, he made a, a profession of faith as a kid, but there's been no fruit. And so I'm praying one of two things. God, either he needs to be saved or he needs to get serious about his salvation. But what would happen if I didn't wait on the Lord? I would have quit praying for him a long time ago. You see, here's the reality. Christ's calendar is a lot different than yours. And what many of us are doing today is we're trying to cram the creator of the universe into our calendar. We're trying to get Jesus Christ to fit our timetable and our agenda. And when he doesn't, we get impatient and we get angry and we pout and we get mad. And some of us give up on God because we're not willing to be patient Let me tell you something about your calendar and Christ's calendar. They're a little different. Your calendar is pretty limited. It's limited to a 24-hour day. Here's what Scripture says about God's calendar. A day is as a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is but a day. Think of what he can accomplish in his day. 
And it's not about you and I trying to cram the creator of the universe into our calendar, but syncing our life with Christ's calendar. The next area that we have to be patient is people patience. Patient with the people that God has placed in our life. And this is probably the greatest challenge. And again, it's made up, the Greek word, from a compound, a couple of different words. One meaning long and the other meaning wrath. And the King James actually probably translates it the best or the closest, suffereth long or is long-suffering. And that revolves around people. And because this series, Love Lessons, revolves around our relationships, our relationship with God, with ourselves, and with others, this is the patience that we're going to hone in on today. Learning how to be patient with people. It's one of our greatest challenges. And sometimes we we think that, I mean, we know that God wants us to be patient, but we don't understand how serious he is about that. And so I want to read to you several scriptures, and this is not an exhaustive list. This is just several scriptures that all use that same Greek word meaning long-suffering, which revolves around patience with people, not circumstances, not trials, not patience with God, but patience in dealing with people. 1 Corinthians 13.4, we have read, love is patient. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, be patient with everyone. I wish it said with some. (laughs) That includes every person on the planet, people that you deal with, whether it is people in your home or someone that you'll never meet again at an airport. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Colossians 1.11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Again, that long-suffering. Colossians 3.12, we read that. Therefore, as God's chosen holy people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In Ephesians 4.2, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Do you see how serious God is about people patience? Now we could talk about what it looks like to not be patient, but I think every one of us knows what that is. We, we all know when we're irritable, when we're sitting on the highway and it's early in the morning and we're wanting to head to work and car after car after car is going down and there's two lanes and nobody is awake enough or they're still on their phone driving or whatever's going on in their life, they can't get over to let you on. And it's like 60 seconds that you have to wait. And what happens? We know what that feeling is. And so today, I don't want to talk about what it looks like when we're not patient. I want to use the last bit of our time constructively, and I want to look, number two, at keys to cultivating patience in our life. Over the last 25 years, these have been some keys that God has been showing me and revealing to me. And sometimes we beat ourselves up because we're, we're not always patient But when you look back at where you were 10, 15, 20 years ago, has there been a change in your life? 
You see, I think one of the things we do a lot of times as Christians is we hear sermons like this and we beat ourselves up and we think, man, I'm a total failure. But I want you to look at this in light of the work that God has been doing in your life. Are you more patient today than you used to be? And so I want to share these with you, not because I've arrived and I'm perfect. I I still get frustrated with people. I still find myself being impatient with people from time to time. But God has been growing me in this process. Now, the first key is the most important key. They're all important, but this is the critical key because it's the key that unlocks the power to be patient with people. And so how do you and I cultivate patience? Number one, you can't without God's help. And you need to hear that message today. You cannot do this in your own strength. Some of our personalities are more patient with people than others. But this is not about doing it in your personality, but in God's power. Let's go back to Colossians 1.11. And I want you to listen to the power words and ask yourself this question. Why does God like state power in so many different ways before he tells you, that that's what's going to allow you to be patient with people. Listen to this. Being strengthened, there's a power word, with all power, second, according to his glorious might. Strengthened power, might. Why? Why do we need God's strength, power, and might? So that you may have great endurance and patience, long-suffering with people. Which means this. If you are going to cultivate a patience with people, you have to spend time with God. How you treat people is a direct reflect, a reflection on the time you spend with God or the lack of time that you spend with God. That's kind of a crazy thought, isn't it? Those times when I blow it, those times when I'm very irritable with people, when I don't treat people very well, is really a reflection of, of a lack of time with the Father. And so I want to ask you this question, how much time are you spending with God? What does that look like in your life? Let me ask you this question. When you wake up in the morning, what is the first thing that you reach for? Is it the Father? Is it your phone? And many of us, when our eyes finally focus, one of the first things that we're doing is we're looking at our phone and all the notifications from all the apps that came in the night before and in the early morning hours. All of the notifications from Facebook, all of the notifications from the news. And there are many of us today that, that then scroll through Facebook and we spend more time on Facebook in the morning than we do with the Father. There are those of us that go and we, we spend our time reading about the world news and not the good news. We start with the problems of the day and not with the power. Denzel Washington, as he was addressing a group of students getting ready to graduate, shared a couple of keys to success in life. And the first thing that he said to them was this, you're probably all too cool for this, but but us older men, we wear slippers. And he says, at night, before I go to bed, I don't put my slippers by the bed. I shove them all the way under the bed. And here's why. In the morning when I get out and I step on that cold floor and I'm looking for my slippers, I have to get on my knees. And while I'm down there, I say, hey, God, Thank you for a great night's sleep. Hey, God, thank you for what you created before the foundations of the world today for me. Help me not to miss it. You see, the first thing is I need to be on my knees. I need to be spending time 
with God the Father. It's not that Facebook is bad. It's not that looking at the news is bad. It's, it's this. We need a proper perspective in life. And spending time with the Father provides not just a perspective, but a purpose to life. And it allows us, at the very beginning of the day, to see that people are a priority and not a problem. So when I get onto the highway and I'm waiting and here's coming cars, I don't just see problem after problem after problem. I see people. And I start to make them a priority in my life. So what does that look like for you to spend time with the Father? Maybe it's getting up a little earlier. Maybe it's going for a walk and prayer walking. Maybe it's just going into a quiet place in your house and and just praying. And remember, prayer isn't you talking nonstop. Prayer also is you being quiet enough to listen to the heart of the Father. It's about not just being in His Word, but his word being in you. The, the problem today is, is there are a lot of us, we're in Bible studies, which is great. But the problem with some of those Bible studies is we're in the word, but the word's never in us. And so we go and we have this great Bible study and we know all of this information and we were in the word and we leave, but because the word was never in us, we run into someone and we're a jerk. Yet we just spent how much time talking about Jesus and his word? You see, God's plan is for this to become an active, living part of our lives, not this separate book that we just know about, but a book that we live out. You cannot be patient with people apart from God's help. Number two, this has been hugely helpful in my life. Remember how patient God has been with you. It's just super practical. Think about all the times that you've blown it and Jesus has lovingly been patient with you. Think about the disciples. I mean, I love reading through the Scripture and and reading it for the reality of what it really is and seeing how often they blew it, how often they put their feet in their mouth, how often they, they totally messed up. I mean, when the children were coming and they're like, no, Jesus doesn't have time for children. You're like, oh. I mean, can you imagine They were knuckleheads. Why do I say that? Because I'm a disciple that's a knucklehead from time to time. That still sticks his foot in his mouth. That still doesn't always get it. Remember that time in Luke 9 when Jesus was heading to the cross? He's on mission for God. And they're going and they come up to this Samaritan village and the messengers ahead are told by these villagers, these Samaritans, we don't want Jesus. And they reject the Redeemer. People are rejecting Jesus today. And so they come back and they share with Jesus. They don't want you, Jesus. You've been rejected. Now, earlier, Jesus taught his disciples when he sent them out how to deal with rejection. He said, when you come to a village that doesn't want to have anything to do with you, shake the dust off your feet and move on. Some of you have been rejected You have been rejected by a parent. You have been rejected by a peer. You have been rejected at work. There are people that have said things to you that have basically said, you're not welcome here. We don't want you in our town. And the question is, how are you responding to that rejection? Many of us, we're not responding in a godly way. We're reacting and we're getting angry because it hurts our hearts. And what does Jesus say? Shake the dust off and move on. Why? 
Because their rejection of you is not a reflection of you. It's a reflection of their heart. And some of you, you, you've made it about you. It's not a rejection of you. Here's the reality. People will reject you, but I love this. Jesus will never reject you. How do I handle the rejections of life? I know no matter what happens in my life, there's one person that will never reject me, Jesus Christ. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. And so I go and I'm like, okay, so for whatever's going on in your life, you've rejected me. I'm shaking the dust off and I'm moving on. I am not going to get hung up. And some of you, you're hung up today on rejection. Now, let me share with you the rest of that story. James and John have been walking with Jesus for three years. Here's their response to Jesus' rejection. Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and burn them all up? Well, that sounds pretty Christian, doesn't it? Knucklehead, foot in your mouth. What are you thinking? Well, it hurt me that they were rejecting my Savior, and so I wanted to retaliate. Shake the dust off and move on. And many of us, we read that and go, wow, what's wrong with those guys? I mean, they think they're Elijah or something? question is, what's wrong with us? Because we've all had those same thoughts. We may not have said it out loud, but Jesus heard it. As sure as he heard James and John. Because some of us have said this, I wish you were dead. I hope I never see you again. You can just go to hell. You ever stop to think about what you're saying when you say that? You ever stop to consider what it really means to damn people for all eternity? And why do we do that? Because we're responding out of rejection instead of loving patience. Because we have forgotten how patient God was with us. One of the things that frustrates me from time to time is more mature saints who don't have grace for younger, immature saints. And maybe they're just a baby and they're messing their diaper and it stinks and it's not fun. And yeah, it messes everything up in our lives and ministry is messy. But that's the stage they're at and someone needs to help them change their diaper and grow out of that stage. But what we do a lot of times is we just get mad at them. We just get impatient I think back to the first years as a pastor, little church in Imperial, Nebraska. I look at some of those sermons and I think, those poor people. And they sat there and smiled and were loving and gracious and, oh man, those poor people. Why? Some of, some of them were more mature in their faith. Some of them probably could have done a lot better job preaching than me, but here's what they understood. God had to call on my life, and they were going to be lovingly patient and help me grow as a pastor. Number three, have more realistic expectations for others and for yourself. And this is important, not just for others, but also for yourself. Realistic expectations. The key to being patient with people, to see them and treat them the way that you want to be seen and the way you want to be treated. Now, in the everyday heat of the interactions of life where there's friction in our relationships, we need to remember that God has created us with different passions, different goals, different dreams, different desires, and we make different choices. And what happens when your expectations meet reality and there's a stark difference between the two? We tend to get frustrated. We tend to become impatient. We tend to get angry, right? I will never forget one Christmas, I saw this awesome toy. 
And I thought, man, that would be so great to get that for my kid. And so I went and, and purchased it because on the box it showed the picture and it said this, some assembly required easy to assemble. So what was my expectation? It's not going to take long. It's just some assembly and, and it's easy. After 20 hours of blood, sweat, and tears, my patient's tank was about dry. And, and I still had a whole handful of parts, and it looked nothing like the picture on the box. Now, if they had printed on the box, assembly, this toy requires 20 hours of blood, sweat, and tears, and it's still not going to look like the picture, my expectation and reality would have been the same. I probably wouldn't have bought it. But this ties into our relationships today. We're going into marriage with these unrealistic expectations and then life hits and we're impatient and frustrated with each other. A scripture that you need to memorize if you're married or thinking about getting married. God made them male and female. That means that they're very different. God was not hiding anything from us. Men and women think incredibly differently. They have different needs. And yet we go in with this Disney expectation. We're in love. It'll just be easy. Some assembly required. Easy. No. It might be. 20 hours of blood, sweat, and tears. There are times where you and I need to understand that these expectations need to be realistic. Imagine for a moment a couple that gets married and, and he comes from a home where there's eight siblings and she comes from a home where she's a single child. Now in his home, when he was growing up, when it came to birthdays, <clears throat> they celebrated the birthday. They recognized your day of birth. They gave you a card and a piece of cake, but it wasn't like they could throw a huge party for nine kids every year. In her family growing up, Everything came to a stop. The circus came to town. Her name was on the marquee. Everybody in town knew it was her birthday. Now they're married. First year, her birthday's coming up. What are her expectations? What do you think's going to happen when reality hits? And this is just one small little area of marriage. And there's a million of them. The second, or, or fourth, excuse me, is we need to be more understanding of other people. You and I so often jump to judgments. We see situations, we come to a conclusion, but we don't take the time to look, to listen, to ask questions. Jesus is the model here. He, he spent most of his life asking questions, not making statements. <clears throat> the woman at the well who was not living morally right he still asked her questions even though he knew. And he revealed to people what was in their real hearts. Here's what happens when you and I judge people and we really don't know what's going on in their life. Now, I will start this by saying that, and I know I shouldn't say this, um, it's like I think a cardinal sin for pastors to say from the pulpit, but I don't have a problem if people sleep while I'm preaching. Next week, there'll be everybody's bringing your pillow. Don't forget, don't come here, trails west. <clears throat> You're sleeping outside in the bright daylight. But here's why. My first year as a pastor, I'm preaching, and the, the, the sermon that day, ironically, was on loving others. 
And there was this guy that showed up, great big mountain of a man, and, and he didn't come very often, and he sat right on the front row. I mean, I could literally reach out and touch him, and partway into the sermon, I wanted to reach out and touch him, okay, and slap him. And here's why. I get up to preach, and he immediately falls asleep. I mean, we're not talking five minutes in, we're talking instant asleep. And not just the Christian, like, head nod, you're trying to keep yourself awake, and you're doing the best you can. And I mean, there's grace for that kind of sleeping in church, right? But this is head back, snoring as loud as he can, drool coming down his chin, and I'm looking at the guy in the back that's running the sound going, bump me up, because I am literally competing, I kid you not, with so snore law. And here's the thoughts in my head. Remember my sermon? Loving others. What is your problem? You can do this when you don't preach with notes. You, you, can, you can have lots of thoughts go through your head while you're preaching. Like you can't get to bed on time, you're an adult. And if you're really that exhausted, why do you even bother coming? Because it's obvious you don't care about the Word of God. And the whole time I'm preaching on loving others. And here's my thoughts. So after the service, I meet with a couple And they leave, and he's standing off to the side. And he comes over kind of sheepishly, and he says, Pastor, can I talk to you for a minute? And I'm like, sure. And he says, I need to apologize. And I'm thinking, yeah, you need to apologize. And I am so thankful that the Spirit of God is alive in this church and is convicting your heart. That's my thoughts. And he says, I don't come very often because I'm an over-the-road trucker. He said, last week I was in Kentucky, the week before I was in California. And he said, I, I, I love being in this church. Something happens in my heart when I hear you preach. But I can't always be here. And I'd missed three weeks in a row. And so I drove through the night to get here. You ever been this small? And I'm looking up at him. And here's what I said. So you you don't have anything you need to apologize for. Because the Spirit of God's alive in this church. I'm the one that needs convicted. Because I can preach a good sermon, but I'm not practicing it. And I shared with him the thoughts in my head. And I said, I need to ask you for your forgiveness. Because I'm not being a good shepherd right now. I'm being a jerk. What if you and I would take the time to find out what was really going on in other people's lives? That person that showed up late and we're thinking, what is your problem? Is my time not matter? You've devalued me, but they just came from the doctor's office where they just got the diagnosis. They have cancer and they've never said to anyone yet. And the first Christian that they sit down with is upset with them because they've somehow been slighted with their time and they don't know how much time they have. Number five, learn to focus on solutions to problems and frustrations rather than playing the blame game. Imagine a couple with a little baby and he's at work and she's at home and she runs out of formula And so she calls her husband. She says, hey, honey, on the way home from work, would you pick up some formula? He gets home, and he walks in, and he's ready to greet his wife, and he's happy. And first thing she says is, did you get the formula? And he goes, oh, I forgot. How's she going to respond? Is it going to be loving patience? 
Is she going to talk about how irresponsible he is and how forgetful and how undependable he is as a husband and how she's been at home all day with the kids and the least thing? She has one thing and you can't even do that. You don't even love me. See where we can take these things? But see, if she focuses on the real problem, and what's the real problem? Is it his forgetfulness or is it the baby that needs fed? We forget the real problem, don't we? And if we would see what the real problem is, we would, we would say, okay, we, we still need to come up with a solution for that problem. See, loving patience would do this. Honey, you know what? It's okay. Yeah, it's frustrating to me. But we all forget things, and I've forgotten things at times that probably have frustrated you. But here's the real issue right now. Our baby needs formula. What would be easier, for me to go to the store and get it and you stay with the baby or for you to go get it? You see how that would change everything? But we, we make these massive mountains out of these little molehills. Why? Because we focus on the blame game, not on solutions. And, and as long as she focuses on his forgetfulness and his un, being not dependable, She's going to come across as condemning and, and hateful and hurtful, and they're probably going to have a massive fight, and the baby's going to be crying because the baby's hungry. And we're going to miss the whole point. The last thing that has been so helpful to me is to realize that acting impatiently doesn't help anyone. It doesn't make things better. The guy pounding at the counter because the flight is canceled and there's no more flights and he's making all of these idle threats about how he'll never fly this airline again and they're a bunch of jerks and da-da-da-da-da. And he still ends up spending the night in the hotel like everybody else. The thing is, he hurts the hearts of people and if he's a believer or worse, he, he affects the cause of Christ. He wrecks his witness for Jesus. And so I want to ask you as we close, how would your relationships be different if you spent more time, number one, with God, listening to his heart and remembering how patient he is with you? How would your relationships be different if you treated everyone, including yourself, as a person in process rather than as a machine that performs? How would your relationships be different if you showed in your words and actions that you valued relationships above anything else? If you listened long enough to understand what another person was thinking and feeling. If you gave up harsh and condemning words and learned to speak softly and kindly. If you focused on finding solutions to problems rather than finding people to blame. One of the greatest gifts that you and I can give is the gift of patience. Who do you know this week that you can present the present of patience to?